Welcome into one of my favorite episodes of the year to record. This is the Xavier Basketball Season Preview Edition. Paul Fritschner, Rick Broering with you at the Musketeer Report Podcast. And it is time to preview the 2022-2023 Xavier Basketball Season. We'll get into Xavier, the rest of the Big East, college basketball, a little bit as a whole on this episode. And Rick, it's great to be with you. And we're just a couple of days away from college basketball season. It's crazy. It's right around the corner. One of the best times of the year. Not only are we in the middle of football season, but now you get basketball starting up at the same time. From a sports fan's perspective, it really doesn't get better than these next two or three months. Yeah, it's firing on all cylinders, and Xavier's already been in action a couple of times. Once in private, once in public. They played Vanderbilt in a secret scrimmage this past weekend. You reported a little bit on that on the board. Before we get into the exhibition, are there any nuggets, news, notes from that uh scrimmage against Vanderbilt that you might want to add on to? I think the biggest thing is just that it, it sounded like it was a struggle all the way around. I mean, you saw the quote from Jeff Goodman, which said, no one from Xavier stood out, which I have to assume came directly from the Xavier <laughs> side. And given his and Sean Miller's relationship going back to uh, last year with the field of 68, but they've known each other for a long time, obviously, I have to assume that Jeff probably sent Sean a text and I would love to read what that text back said, because I'm sure it wasn't verbatim. No one stood out for us. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, you lose the 20, lose by 20 to Vanderbilt. It's not not how you drew it up. Clearly, I heard the defense was was a struggle, which obviously we saw that in the exhibition as well. So we'll get more into that. Um, and I heard turnovers were a problem early. And it's funny because going into the exhibition, the first half of the exhibition, you could see how that would have been an issue. Desmond Claude looked like Things were going in hyperdrive for him initially. He had those three turnovers early in the exhibition. And then after that, he really settled in. So uh, long term, I'm not as concerned about the the turnovers. Uh, I, I mean, look, you have two new point guards who are new to this level. So it is a bit of a concern about what type of consistency you're going to get at that position. But overall, I think long term, Sule Boom and Desmond Claude, and even if you need some help, Adam Kunkel and Colby Jones can help you handle the ball uh, this year. I don't think that's going to be a big issue. So I think the big one coming away from the Vanderbilt scrimmage was just the the defense and the struggles they had there. And like I said, that carried right into Wednesday night's exhibition as well. Yeah, Adam Kunkel got hurt in that scrimmage against Vanderbilt. And last night after the exhibition, Sean Miller said it was a matter of time before Adam came back. I don't know if we'll see him on Monday night in the season opener, but that's a game that if he's not 100%, you probably keep him out. There's more important things on the horizon than playing uh, in the season opener on Monday night. So uh, it it didn't sound like it was going to be something that would linger or be a a huge issue or anything like that, but it, it was something that didn't play in the exhibition uh, last night. And we'll have to see on Monday night if Adam's available to play, but that does bring up the exhibition last night, Sean Miller for the first time and in front of the Cintas center crowd and his second stint here at Xavier. And, and uh, it it was a kind of weird showing you and I sat up there in the media bunker with Adam Baum and we were going back and forth about the game the whole time and how just, like I said, kind of weird it looked at, at different points in the game defensively, especially for Xavier. This is a, a game that Xavier led by one at halftime, and it took a late bucket in the first half for Xavier to even hold that halftime lead, 45-44. But they come out in the second half, and after allowing 44 points in the first half, 
They only allow 18 points in the second half. Xavier goes on a 15-0 run in the last three minutes and 50 seconds, 17-2 run in the last 7-18 of the game. Kentucky Wesleyan did not score for the last six minutes and 13 seconds. Xavier wins by 18, 80-62 and really put it away at the end. And really, at the end of it, Rick, what the difference was, and Zach Fremantle said it in the postgame press conference, Xavier was just bigger, and that showed in the last few minutes of the game. Xavier dominated in the paint all night long. They out-rebounded Kentucky Wesleyan 46-31. to They outscored Wesleyan 48-12 to in the paint. It was just a dominant effort by the Xavier Bigs, but that's what you're going to get when every Wesleyan was like six inches on average shorter than anybody on the Xavier team. So there was a size mismatch there, but outside of that, a couple of the things that stood out, and we talked about it after the game last night, was the defense, and it was a major issue in the first half. They got some things corrected out of the halftime break, but uh, defense, there was a reason we had heard about the defense coming out of that Vanderbilt scrimmage, and uh, it didn't inspire a lot of confidence last night. No, it, it was not good, and I think it was kind of a all systems fail from a defensive perspective. It wasn't just one or two guys getting beat off the dribble. It wasn't miscommunications in one specific action or something that kept happening that's like, oh, okay, just get that right or get this guy on track and you're good. I mean, there were a lot of different things going wrong from guys being... I thought Sean brought up a good point in the post-game press conference where he said, we looked tentative, like almost like we were trying too hard to be perfect and, and not just playing. And he pointed to the fact that they had zero steals at halftime. He said, that's almost hard to to do in a division one basketball game, not have any steals. That's a clear sign that they just weren't active enough and, and applying enough pressure. And uh, I think a lot of times, especially when a system is new to guys or they're trying to learn, they do more thinking and, and less just reacting and playing. I think that is definitely true of Xavier right now, where you just saw guys worried about making a mistake. And so they're just not doing anything. To some extent, you know, what I mean, it's like yeah. you'd be better off just making an aggressive mistake and trying to uh, make a play on the ball or, you know, uh, switch off at a, at a different time. What, whatever the case is in the given scenario, it just seemed like uh, they were a step late or slow to communicate things or just not aggressive enough. And Colby Jones in the second half really helped set the tone and change that overall. Uh, Sean pointed out that he had five steals in the second half of this one and, and the team had, I think, six or seven overall in the second half. So that is that is a good sign that they got a lot more aggressive and applied a lot more pressure in the second half. And and like Sean said, a Colby really took the game over there on both ends of the floor in the second half, which was good to see because I'll tell you what, at halftime, I was typing up my my recap, my takeaways, and I'm saying Colby Jones didn't shoot the ball once until there were six minutes left, 630 or something left in the first half. That's not going to get it done for this team. They need him to be more aggressive. And then lo and behold, he he became more aggressive and, and really dominated in all phases in the second half. Yeah, he did. It, it was very clear. It was like a light bulb went off. But I think that's the thing that you and I have talked about so much of the last year and a half is what does it take? What is that light bulb moment? And why can't that light bulb be on the entire game? Why can't that aggressiveness be there from the jump instead of waiting until you have to get it there You know, later on in the game or in the second half? Yeah, and I know that's kind of who he is. He's he's a guy that lets the game come to him, and he he doesn't make mistakes. He he's a great team player, but where they're at right now, and with the makeup of this roster, they need him to be a little selfish. They can't go 14 minutes of a game without him taking a shot for them. Uh, that's just not how this team is constructed right now. He's way too talented for that to be the case. And he, I mean, 
it's not just about him making shots. It's about him trying to make plays so that you get the benefit of what that brings. He's a good decision maker, so he might make other guys better. And also, he's big, strong, tough to guard. He'll draw fouls, put guys in foul trouble, get to the line, get your offense going with easy points. Uh, He can really be a game changer, as we saw in the second half, but they need him to be that way a little bit more consistently this year. Yeah, outside of individual efforts, two of the issues that we knew with this team coming into the season was going to be the defense and it was also going to be shooting the basketball. And from beyond the arc last night, Xavier finished five of 18 from three, uh, one for eight in the second half. That's just not a number at the Big East level that's going to get it done consistently night in and night out. But that's also something, like I said, that we knew coming into this year. So how does Xavier Rick in your mind account for that? Is that a number that now I know Adam Kunkel didn't play last night. So there's some shooting that wasn't in the game. Um, and maybe you're not playing last night's exhibition game, the way you're going to play games at the big East level. But at the same time, it's just a microcosm of the shooting numbers. That isn't all that shocking. I would say. Yeah, that's right. I mean, anyone who's been following this site or listening to our podcast knows how I feel about the subject matter. I've been saying the same thing for three straight years, and that's they just don't have enough shooting on this roster. Yeah. And it's go- I think it's going to be a problem for them offensively. And I think what you saw in this exhibition was the plan is going to be a little bit different offensively this year. They are going to make it a point to pound the ball inside. And we saw that against Kentucky Wesley. And I, I tried to ask Zach Freeman about it in the postgame, and I was I was looking at it more from a philosophical standpoint of I've been at practice. I know that this is an emphasis for them, that they're going to try to get the ball inside a lot of high, low actions, the type of stuff you saw in the first half. I mean, Zach drew six fouls in this game against Kentucky Wesleyan's front court. Jack Nungy drew another three. I think that's a big reason why they want to force feed the post so much. And so I tried to ask Zach about that. And he was just basically like, well, they was a smaller team. So we don't play inside, you know, that's, that's Zach. So, uh, uh, yeah, I wasn't as much looking for the game plan in this specific matchup as I was like the overall ph- philosophy of getting inside. But I think that's going to be something. One way they try to combat that is last year and really the last couple of years, they didn't get enough easy points. And we'd see them go on those long strouts and we saw the inconsistency on offense. And that's what happens when you live and die by jump shots and you're not a good shooting team. So they have to be able to find a way to get that ball inside, get to the free throw line and get some easier points. But again, if you're not going to make three point shots, you're going to start seeing 10 defenders feet all in the paint, crowding that area where you're trying to lob the ball into Jack or Zach on a high low. And it's going to get a a lot more difficult to run that little cross screen play that they ran, something that was really popular in the Sean Miller and Chris Mack era previously. It's clearly coming back again uh, with with the Sean era round two. I just think that they are are going to have to find ways to get creative to to get the offense rolling because I, I just don't know that that shooting is going to get better. Having Adam Kunkel out is definitely a detriment to your shooting on this roster, but you know he was on the team last year and 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 there wasn't enough shooting, so yeah. I just think that that's going to be a, an issue throughout the year. I, I do think one good sign though was Desmond Claude stepped into a a three point shot confidently and looked pretty smooth on that, so he was one for two in the game. That was a good sign. Yeah, nobody made more than one last night. Everybody that made one just made one. Desmond Claude made one. Colby, 
Jack Nunji made one. Fremantle made one. Fremantle's was kind of wild. A turnaround as the shot clock expired, threw it up, and it went in. Uh, and then Kiki Tandy, who I thought had a nice game last night, filled his spots well. He only finished with five points, but he didn't do anything egregious. Yeah, he got in and started firing a couple of shots, but I thought his decision-making was pretty good. Finished two for six, had a couple of rebounds. He, you know, he, he, he was in there and, and had, a, had a decent game last night. Kiki's a guy that we probably need to spend some time talking on because for the last year plus, it's been kind of, you know, let's dismiss him when it comes up because the coaching staff didn't trust him and wasn't going to play him this year. The roster is a little bit different. And I think the coaching staff basically said, throw out your history. What's happened here. We're starting with a fresh slate and we clearly need what you can bring to the table, which is offensive firepower, scoring, shooting from the outside. If you can prove you can give that to us, you're going to have a spot in this rotation. And I think you've seen that already. Like Kiki is a part of this rotation right now. And if he can find a way to knock down open looks, which he's going to get some, he is going to earn minutes on this roster. I mean, consistent minutes, not like end of the bench or specialty minutes when they're trying to break his own. I mean, he could be that kind of first wing option off of the bench and, and be an important part of this team. So I'm actually to the point right now where I think Kiki Tandy is one of the more important storylines to follow as we get into this season. Because right now, you need a shooter to come off that bench and give you some minutes. And I think Cam Craft is going to be a really good player at Xavier. I don't know if he's ready to give you those minutes right now. So I think Kiki is definitely going to get the first swing at this opportunity off the bench. And if he can fill that bench shooter and scorer role, he's probably going to have a leg up on Cam Craft. But if he struggles and he can't knock down shots consistently or he turns the ball over, or he can't get stops on the defensive end, then I imagine they're just going to put the, all their eggs in the freshman basket and say, let's develop Desmond Claude and Cam Kraft because both of those guys are going to be a big part of our future. Yeah. And after the game, we'll go back to Zach Fremantle for a second. After the game, Sean Miller said that he thought Zach Fremantle was outstanding, filled the stat sheet well, 22 points. 13 rebounds, a double-double. He's 8 for 14 from the floor, made that three, like I said, 5 for 6 from the line, had 5 assists too. But that doesn't tell the whole story, Rick. On the defensive end, Zach got lost a couple of times. He did have a couple of really nice blocks in the game. But uh, Zach Fremantle defensively, I thought, left something to be desired. Yeah, I thought so too. I thought in the first half particularly, there were some missteps by Zach defensively. But look, one, the coaching staff knows better than I do what they're trying to accomplish. So if they yeah. say Zach was the best player on the floor, then by all means, I'll, I'll go with them on that. <laughs> I also sensed a little bit that you had the suspension to start the season for Zach or start the preseason for Zach. I think the secret scrimmage did not go well for him. And I think they were pretty hard on him there. So I sensed a little bit of let's give him a little bit of sugar. Let's go with a little bit of the arm around his shoulder and encourage him route after that game. Cause Zach or uh, Sean was extremely complimentary of Zach after that game. It's funny you say that because I saw the exact same thing, the exact same way you saw it. And it was funny when Zach was asked about how he's been playing under this coaching staff versus Travis Steele. And his answer was basically, uh, you know, it's a lot different, but <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a <laughs> we're lot getting different. there. It's a lot different, but we're getting there. And which, by the way, if anybody listening to this hasn't listened to Sean's press conference after the game, you should go back and listen to it. It was very good. It's on YouTube. It's in the Musketeer Report threads. I've tweeted it out. Um, but yes, Zach kind of had a grin on his face. And it was like, yeah, it's 
it's it's a little different. It's it's not it's not what it was. That that, uh, but, that was like a small comment, and there was kind of like a, a pause, and that it said so much without actually using words. You know, yeah. you, you felt like he said about four paragraphs right there with that one little statement. Yeah, I thought the exact same thing. And then when Sean came in and he made the first comment that he said that that Zach was outstanding, and he and he went on more. He elaborated. He didn't just say that. He he talked more about how Zach played and, and specific points and things like that. I I felt the same way that and and that's not to take anything away from how Zach played offensively and and rebounded the basketball because I thought he I thought he did play well on that end and and he made shot made some tough shots around the rim. Um, but uh, but yeah, so those those were my takeaways. Was there anything else from the exhibition before we move on to some of the season stuff? I don't think so. I think the big thing for me with Zach is as long as his motor is running high for a full game, you can live with what he's going to give you. And I felt like at least he was giving you that against Kentucky Wesley, and he was playing hard. There may have been some possessions where he gave up an easy basket. I mean, that number 32 for Kentucky Wesley and that thick big man that yeah. they had was giving Zach some problems at times. So I'd like to see him get stops. But at the same time, he continued to rebound. He was getting out of his area to go get balls when they're coming off the glass. He, Like you said, he had some blocked shots coming from the weak side. So if he's seeing that stuff and being active enough to make those types of plays, I think you can live with what Zach's going to give you because it's going to be more good than bad. Sure. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's get into the season preview now. And let's start with the rotation. Uh, let's start with how this team shapes up, what we're going to start to see, how you might see it evolving over the season, um, maybe what you see with the starting lineup, how you might see that evolving, how the freshmen fit in. Let's just get your thoughts on the rotation, Rick, and how you see all that shaping up. Yeah, so I think where it's at, or at least where it appears to be right now, is Sule Boom is the starter at point guard, we think. Adam Kunkel would be the starter at the two, we think. And then Colby Jones is a lock for the three. Zach Freeman a lock for the four. And, and Jack Nunji a lock for the five position to start. Uh, the only question, I guess, would be, is there is the possibility that Desmond Claude is passing up Sule Boom already at the point guard position? Both of them started in the exhibition because Kunkel was out with his injury. I think most people probably left that game feeling like Desmond Claude was the more impressive player. Sean Miller said after the game that he didn't feel Sule played his best, but he also said it's not fair to judge either one of these guys yet based on what they're doing in an exhibition because they're both brand new to the program. They just got here. They're still learning what I want from them. So uh, that would be my only kind of question in the starting lineup is, is there a change at that one of the guard spots because of the way Desmond Claude has equipped himself here through through the preseason? Then once you get to the bench, uh, I think pretty clearly Jerome Hunter is going to have a spot off the bench in the front court because Deontay Miles only played two minutes in that exhibition game. Cesar Edwards didn't get off the bench. Elijah Tucker didn't get off the bench. So in terms of front court bodies, I think for the most part, you're going to pl- try to play Jack and Zach as many minutes as you can, and then you're going to stagger them and play them at the five and, and move Jerome Hunter or maybe even Colby Jones at times down to that four spot. And I think that's how you're going to try to get by in the front court. So you know Jerome Hunter is going to be important off the bench. Desmond Claude, assuming he doesn't start, I think is probably the sixth man this year for this team. He's going to play a lot of minutes at the one. And then you get into that spot that I talked about, which is that scorer and shooter off the wing that they desperately need. And you got two guys for it, Kiki Tandy and Cam Kraft. I think both of them are capable of giving them something off the bench from a scoring perspective. But I think it's kind of up in the air right now between who's going to really take hold of that spot and and prove themselves. I'd give 
I think the slight edge to Kiki Tandy right now. From the way you've reported on everything and, and reading between the lines, it pretty much seems to me like Cesar Edwards in particular, Elijah Tucker too, but Cesar not really fitting into the rotation right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's pretty clear the fact that he wasn't even able to get off the bench in the Division Two exhibition. And and look, Deontay only played two minutes. I would have thought Deontay might have played more than that too. So it kind of tells you, like, Deontay has been clearly ahead of Cesar in practice. And if he's barely getting on the floor, I mean, I, I just, I don't think Cesar is really in the plans for this year, if we're being honest, at least where things are now. He has to take major strides forward before he's going to be at a point where He's breaking into the rotation. Is there anything that stands out why that is to you or how he's played in practice or anything? Yeah, I, th- I think he's had some trouble picking up the new system and adjusting to it. And quite honestly, you go back to last year, people were calling for him to get more minutes for a long time last year before Travis Steele and the staff really ever started playing him. And then even once they did, and he gave them a little bit of offensive spark and his, his brief appearances off the bench, they still didn't want to seem to commit to playing him more minutes. I think we're seeing there was a reason for that. I don't. I just don't think they probably trusted him within the system to get it right. And then all of a sudden, right after that year's over, he's going into a new system and having to learn things all over again. So I don't think he was able to build on that. And uh, I'll be honest, I, I have somewhat missed on the evaluation of Cesar Edward because I really thought that he was going to be a factor early in his career. And uh, he just hasn't developed quite the way that I thought he would have from an athletic perspective. Uh, he seems a little slow to react to things, and, and I, I thought I thought he would be more bouncy around the rim and, and more mobile coming out as a prospect, and he just doesn't seem to be that type of player. He's a little more anchored to the ground, slow to react to things, slow to move, and like I said, he's doing a lot of thinking right now because he hasn't quite figured out the system, I don't think. So it's, it's, it's been a rough preseason for him. He, he hasn't been very good defensively. He's not given him enough offensively to make up for that, and I just don't think they're confident with where he's at in, in learning what they're trying to do. What do you think rotation wise, the ceiling is for Kiki? I mean, I think he can play maybe not quite starter minutes, but I think he could be in the 20 minutes a game type realm. If he really gives them a spark off the bench and shoots the ball well, because they don't have that guy right now. I mean, Sule boom may prove to be more of an outside scorer as the season goes on. He was great in the musketeer madness inner squad scrimmage knock down four threes. But if he's not doing that, where's the shooting going to come from? It's probably Adam Kunkel when he's playing well, but we've seen him be pretty streaky throughout his career. You need someone else. And I think Kiki Tandy could be that guy, but it's, I mean, a lot of it's just going to come down to, is he making shots early in the season or not? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Let's move on to our next one. The Sean Miller impacts and how much, Miller mania affects this savior team this year. Clearly it affects the preseason poll. Xavier was picked second in the big East preseason poll this year. They got two uh, first place votes. Rick, who do we think the first place votes were from? I'll give you mine and then you can give me yours. Personally, I'm going to go with Thad and McDermott. Uh, oh. who, who would you say? Well, I already put that on the message board. That oh, those did were the you? two guys oh. that I thought. Yeah. Oh, damn. What oh, happened? Okay. But yeah, I mean, oh, I thought I was being clever. Then. Well, damn. So Xavier beat McDermott last year twice. Yeah. So yeah. you got to imagine he has a little more respect for this roster than yeah. most of the other coaches that saw them last year. Yeah. And then with the Butler thing, you've got the rivalry. You've got Thad knowing Sean and the fact that those two storylines are going to be kind of joined together all year and they're going to be talked about a lot together. I feel like that might have been 
dad saying, all right, I made you. Now let me put the pressure on you a little bit. You know, I brought you into this world. So I, 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 I got the sense. I think there's a couple things. And one, you got to give credit to the Big East coaches because they did pick Colby Jones and Jack Nungy as both preseason all Big East first teamers. So it's not like they don't think this roster has talent. They clearly are are high on Xavier's talent when they say that. But I do think there's somewhat of an element of part respect for Sean Miller and the upgraded coach, but also partly, okay, big name coach coming into our league. And, you know, there's some some things hanging over his head a little bit with the IARP investigation. Let's put the pressure on him right out of the gate. Let's go ahead and, and put them up at the top of the conference. So I definitely think there's a little bit of that going on with where Xavier's getting picked by other coaches. But look, there's media members. I mean, Matt Norlander had them first in the Big East, top 15 in the country. I saw Andy Katz for NCAA.com just released uh, his t- favorites to win each conference, and he had Xavier in the Big East. So uh, there are clearly outside perspectives that feel that this is a, a very good team with a chance to compete for a Big East title. Yeah, Creighton was picked first. Xavier was picked second with two first-place votes. Villanova was picked third. They got one first-place vote, and Connecticut was picked fourth. That was my top four, too, just not the order that I had it in. We can talk more about the Big East later once we get into the schedule prediction. But how much, Rick, with this roster, do you feel like Miller Mania, if you want to call it that, is going to play into an effect with how quickly he can turn things around here? Let me be very clear that I think Sean Miller is an upgraded coach. I think it's very possible Xavier now has the best coach in the entire conference. So this is not a shot at Sean Miller or Xavier adding Sean Miller. I think it's it's great for the program and it's going to be great going forward for both parties. I also think people are putting too much stock into how much difference Sean Miller makes in year one. I, I you know I think this new staff got into the job, looked at the roster, and kind of had two choices. It's we're not talented enough to to compete the way we want to this year, but we're also not so bad that we're certain we can do better by just a, uh, going out and grabbing one-year mercenaries out of the transfer portal, getting a grad transfer to, and scrapping together whatever we can and trying to to play with a bunch of guys who are just yeah. out there playing for themselves for one year. I think that the strategy was, this is a good enough roster. Let's instill our, our program and our system the way we want to do things with a good group of guys that are in place and that are hungry and want to be here. And then let's build this thing going forward the way we want to do it with a, a good foundation. And I, I think that that's kind of where, where we're at with uh, with this roster situation from a standpoint of it, it's, it's competitive, but it's not, where this coaching staff would like it to be from a talent perspective. I think they understand that um, even more so than than I do as an outsider saying, I, I don't know if they quite have enough. So c- can they compete in the Big East? Yes. Do I think they should be a top half of the Big East team this year to where they could finish somewhere between second through fifth? Yes. Um, do, I just don't see a world in which they're winning the Big East and top 15 in the country this year. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. One narrative that I've heard circulating a little bit on Twitter uh, is this narrative that Sean Miller has struggled in his first year at programs. Well, he's only been 
at Xavier and Arizona. And the first year that he took over at Xavier was 2005. Yeah, he didn't make the tournament, but there's a lot of context there. One, it's his first year as a head coach, but think of everything that they lost from that 2004 season. And then you go back and you look at 2010 at Arizona when he takes over there. Arizona finishes 16 and 15 in that year. I think Chase Buttinger was, was he, did he, he may have come back for the next year, uh, that first year, but I think Buttinger left after that year, a bunch of guys left after that 2009 Arizona season, and he didn't have a ton to work with there. I I think it's kind of a lazy take to say, oh, he struggled in his first years. And I'm not really sure why so many people have picked that up over the last few months, because I keep hearing it over and over. He's just such a different coach and a different guy than he was in both 2004, 2005 and 2010, uh, that one doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Well, any coach that takes over the first year, there's usually a reason that there's a new coach coming into a program. Yeah. Now, in Xavier's case, a lot of times it's been that they've done well. The former coach moves on, like in Thad Mata's case before Sean Miller, he moved on to to bigger and better things in theory. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a little bit different in that Xavier scenario, but usually coaches aren't very good in their first year. You know, usually yeah. there's a little bit of a process there. So I don't take much stock in that at all. But like, I also think fans remember the runs Xavier made when Sean was here and and how much postseason success he had. But like, you know, they went eight and eight in the Atlantic 10, I think, in like his second year. <laughs> you know, they, they were losing games to LaSalle and St. Louis and, and Temple and on the road at Fordham occasionally. Like, it's not like they never lost a game in the A-10 either. So it's like this is. Sean Miller is going to be a great coach. He is going to make a difference. I have no doubt about that. But I also think some people think it's like, you got Sean Miller, you're going to the national championship now, and there's nothing anyone can do about it. It's like, well, I mean, he's, he's human. He is a basketball coach, a very good one, but he can't just automatically make his teams more talented. And uh, I think that's what, what they're working on now. I mean, Desmond, Claude, and Cam Craft are a great start to what you're trying to do in terms of building up this roster, but they're also going to be freshmen this year. So uh, I'd say give it some time. So do you think Sean is the best coach in the Big East right now? If he, I, it was a, a binary answer, yes or no, do you think he is? Yeah, I would rank yeah. him number one. I would too. I mean, I think, the, I, yeah. I mean, who, who else is in the argument? I think it's him. It's Thad Mata. McDermott and Cooley McDermott, probably. Cooley and, uh, and, and Danny from stores. Oh, really? I mean, people like him. He's I think he's a good coach. I don't I don't think I'd have him as the best in the conference. That's why yeah, Sean I mean, would be my answer. But like I, I think like those, are the, those are the guys in the conversation, right? Yeah. Yeah, because I mean you're not you're not gonna throw Shaheen all the way in there right away. No, he's gotta prove something first. Our guy Ewing's gotta win a game. He's definitely not in the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Stubblefield? No. Not in the so, conversation. Yeah. So no. I I think I think Sean right now is yeah i think xavier has the best coach in the big east and what he does with it and how the season turns out is yet to be determined but i think that this this kind of purveying narrative that he's struggling in his first year there's just so much context to it that i don't really understand why I, i've seen it so much and maybe that's just because i live on the internet yeah uh, I've, okay. I've, i haven't heard that one quite as much that hasn't made it to yeah. the message board so in fact i was listening to i was listening to a season preview podcast the other day from from somebody and now i'm trying to remember who it was but they mentioned the same thing. Um, and I, I just thought, well, it's it's not a big deal. I just don't understand why, why I'd heard it a couple Here, of times. Here's what I want. I want the list of coaches who are good in their first year at new jobs. Yeah. How, how long is that list? And how, how can, like, how much data is there to support that theory? 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. All right. Uh, before we get into the schedule prediction, let's do some strengths and weaknesses. Let's do the let's do the pros and cons. Let's balance it out here, Rick, uh, of this Savior team. So let's I, if you're going to give me bad news or good news, I always want to hear the bad news first. So let's hear the weaknesses before we hear the strengths. Well, I think we've we've gone through this to some extent already. The defense is is a big concern. Shooting is a big concern. And then the other thing that I would add on to that is something that I've talked about the last couple of years. I know some people get annoyed when I talk about it, but I think having the best player on the court matters. I think being able to say my best guy is better than your best guy. And most nights I'm going to know that going into the game before it even starts is an advantage. Xavier has not had that advantage in a couple of years in this conference, in my opinion, like they have good number twos and number threes that would start for any other program. But when it comes down to having that killer who takes the game over, who takes the last shots, who scores seven of your last nine points in a tight game to run away with it. I don't know that they have that guy. And I that's been a problem for the last two or three years. I still think it's a problem this year. And, and maybe Colby Jones will prove me wrong and he'll step into that role. I think it's very hard for a center to do that. I mean, we've, we've seen Oscar Shibway, who's National Player of the Year and about as dominant as you can be. I think it was hard for Kentucky when the game was on the line to play through him because it's easier to take a big man away than it is to take a guard away. So uh, Jack Nungy is, is really good. I just don't think he's a guy that kind of takes the game over for you and, and wins it by himself. Do they have that guy? Do you need that guy? Maybe not, but I sure think it helps. So uh, I, I would throw that in there as well. Just not having that alpha go-to score. To go off of that, something that is, it's, I was thinking about last night watching the game, just how important it made me realize Nate Johnson was to this team and having a guy where Nate wasn't the best player on the floor, but he was a guy that you could throw in there and most of the time trust him to make a shot from from beyond the arc. And yeah, sure, he went cold in some games that mattered, but in general, he was the shooter that Xavier could rely on the last couple of years. And to not have that this year, to not have somebody going into the season that you can even count on a hundred percent to go in there and and be that knockdown type of a guy. It's not. It's a little bit like what you're saying, where you're having the best player on the court, but even just to have somebody who's absolutely elite at their one position or whatever it might be, that's that's a concern. Yeah. Well, that to me that speaks to the shooting more than anything. It's like you know people who look at this roster and feel like it, it's a better roster than last year. I'd say, well, you lost Nate Johnson and Paul Scruggs, who were probably your two best shooters on last year's team and you replaced them with Sule boom basically and other people would say well Desmond Claude and Cam Craft too it's like well they're freshmen I don't know you know I, I don't know how yeah. well they're going to shoot initially their first season so it's like I I don't think Sule boom is going to overcome the losses of Nate Johnson who was a great shooter and Paul Scruggs who didn't ever quite reach the potential people had hoped but was still a solid shooter uh from the outside you bring in one guy in Sule boom who can shoot from the outside, but I don't know he's going to be a consistent threat from out there. I, I, shooting is definitely a concern. I think Nate Johnson is going to be a big loss in that regard. You know, the one other thing I forgot to mention about Zach Fremantle, too, talking about perspective for this year is in the postgame press conference last night, he mentioned just on his own how, I guess, annoyed maybe isn't the right word, but just how much it weighs on him that he's never made it past the first round of the Big East tournament 
and obviously never made the NCAA tournament. But when he put that in perspective, that he's never even made it past the first round of the Big East tournament, he's never won a game at Madison Square Garden. I I knew that, but I didn't really think about it like that for a guy like Zach, who has been so important to this program over the last few years, that that's something a lot of these guys are thinking about as they go through their career here. And you come to Xavier to win basketball games that matter in March. And Zach hasn't done that. And it's something that he's thinking about and something that clearly this team, you know, this year, it's a narrative to turn around. Well, you forgot to tell the other part of that story, which was uh, that Baum and I had to grab your hand because you started what Zach said that you started to raise it because you wanted to say, well, you were a nationally invited champion last year. So don't forget (laughs) about that postseason success. Great point. Yeah. Great point. 69th best team in the country. That's right. Yeah. Uh, All right. We've done the weaknesses. Let's do the strengths. I think a couple things here. One is that you have a veteran roster that's hungry, like you just mentioned. These guys have not had postseason success. They have everything to play for, every reason to have a chip on their shoulder, every reason to kind of just band together and go, it's us against the world this year, and and we've got to figure this out. So I think that helps. Uh, The fact that you you just have some veteran toughness and experience, the Jack Nungy, Colby Jones, hopefully Zach Fremantle plays with that type of mentality this year. That, that stuff helps, having experienced guys with, with that mindset and that are good, solid dudes that you can rely on is big, and I think that's a good foundation to build off of. I think also inside play on the offensive end. I mean, having two big men and, and Jack and Zach that can both really score both inside and out is a luxury that not every team has. A lot of times, one of those two spots on the front court are going to be a guy who's a minus offensive player, and Xavier doesn't really have that. Both of those guys can really score. So I think those are are probably the two biggest strengths when I look at this team is the veteran experience of the roster and the inside offensibility of this team. Sure. Um, okay. Is there anything else here before we move into the schedule? No, we can do that. I mean, we're, we're right. I'm doing a lot of talking already. This thing's probably running a bit long. All right, let's go. Let's, let's get into it. Here is our, uh, the best part of the year, Rick, the, the most, uh, most informative part of our podcasting season all year is the how we get right and wrong our uh, schedule prediction. And we're going to go ahead and start with this. I do want to just go ahead and mark down all the buy games as wins. I mean, we don't even need to. Yeah. It's, unless you think Fairfield's going to give them a run for their money. I do not. So, yeah, I've I've got them uh, starting the season three and out here. W- one thing I, I want to ask you before we get too much into it, not to just totally dismiss the buy games. The buy games have always been something for Mario that has been an important part of the schedule in scheduling teams that have a shot to win their conference. Good buy games, obviously games that Xavier's going to win, but games where you might look back at the end of the season and say, hey, look, this team's going to play in the NCAA tournament. Xavier's beat this many tournament teams, and you brought that up on over. Somebody brought that up on the forum a few weeks ago. Uh, and again, I'm, these are not great teams but teams respectively that will compete in their conferences yeah and i think it's changed a little bit over the years because it used to be the rpi you wanted to play a team with a good rpi meaning like you said a lower tier conference but top of their conference because they'll win a lot of games it'll boost your rpi now it's changed a little bit because they've gone to that quad one quad two quad three quad four system with looking at the ncaa record so it can be more difficult to schedule those lower tier conference teams because it's like, well, whether they're the best team in their conference, or the worst team in their conference, they might still be a quad four game 
Yeah. That quad four loss looks like a quad four loss, whether it was the (laughs) best team in their conference or the worst team in their conference. So like NKU's experienced that a lot with scheduling. Now it went from, they were a good team to schedule a couple of years ago because they helped boost your resume to now people have figured out this quadrant system. And they're like, ah, you guys are still probably going to end up quad four and you're a tough out. So we're not going to schedule you as, as a high major team for a bye game. So that's, that's definitely playing a part in it, but Mario is always ahead of the curve in terms of that stuff. And he's always good at manipulating that to put Xavier in the best spot for their resume. All right, then let's start with the first uh, non-buy game of the season, Friday, November 18th at home, Indiana. Go ahead, Rick. I've got this one as a loss, Paul. I do too. Yep. I think Trace Jackson is- Davis is a big concern, I think, for this front court from a defensive perspective. Yeah, I watched a lot of Indiana last season, and he is a very good basketball player. There's a reason Indiana was picked to win the Big Ten this year. I think Purdue is going to have something to say about that, not to get into a national conversation this year, but I think Purdue is being a little overlooked. Uh, but I think there is a definite reason why Indiana was picked to win the Big Ten, and I think that they get this done uh, at Cintas at home. Uh, it's Friday night. Be a great atmosphere. It's gonna. I think it'll did you see the tickets on the secondary market are going for before fees to sit in the 200s? They're at like 220 bucks right now. Really? Yeah. The get in price is like 220 bucks. That's some serious coin for an XG basketball yeah. game. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, they have about a week off before the trip to Portland for the PK 85, which this year, the feast week is unbelievable this year between Maui, uh, the PK 85. These conference tournaments this year and feast week are are unbelievable this year. Uh, Florida is Xavier's first game. And this Florida game, I don't want to over-exaggerate it, but this Florida game may be one of the more important games on the Xavier schedule, only because if Xavier wins this game, then they move into the winner's bracket and probably get opportunities against Duke or Purdue or Gonzaga. If you lose this game to Florida, then you might find yourself playing West Virginia two times in a week. Uh, so this is this is going to be a, a tough, tough tournament for Xavier out in Portland on Thanksgiving. Their first game is on Thanksgiving. Uh, I think that's at 2.30 Eastern time. Um, Xavier in Florida, Todd Golden, new coach, taking over the Florida Gators. Gators are underrated. What do you have in this game? Uh, I, first of all, forgive you for uh, forgetting the Florida Gulf Coast showcase when you were mentioning Feast Week exempt events because that's where I'll be. And is that uh, where the Norse are this year? Better believe it, Hertz Arena, where actually was just uh, it's Estero, Florida, which Hertz Arena, where this event is going to be played, was being used as like a a shelter for all the hurricane people for the last few months. So we'll see what type of shape that is when we get there. But oh boy, uh, yeah, going back to the PK eighty five. <laughs> Xavier's matchup with Florida. I have this as a win in the opening round. I think they beat Florida in a similar situation that they have a new coach going to be trying to get things on track there with Todd Golden. So I'll say that's a win. I do too. I think this is a really tough game. Florida's ranked ahead of Xavier, a couple spots in the preseason Ken Palm rankings. Not that that really means too much with coaching turnover and the newcomers and stuff. Florida before this game is only tested by Florida State. Xavier will have the Indiana game before this, but uh, I, I do think that this is a game that that Xavier can win. Um, but it's it's very much a toss up, and Xavier losing this game wouldn't shock me. I'm going to pick it as a win, though. 
same. Yeah, I, I, I see this as a toss-up game, but I'm going to lean win for Xavier. And again, I think it helps that while Xavier has a new coach coming in as well, they've kept most of their roster together. So for a new uh, a new coaching staff, it feels like a more cohesive group going into the year, I feel like. They're certainly going to have their bumps, but uh, comparing them to Florida right now, I'll take my chances with Xavier. The issue I see is I think Xavier loses the next two games, the almost regardless of how they shake down. I'm going to, I'm going to have them one and two here in the PK 85. Yeah. I also have them one and two in Portland. You could play the rodeo game and try and figure out, well, okay, if you win, you probably play Duke. If you lose, you probably play Oregon state. Uh, But then that other side of the bracket in this tournament, Purdue, West Virginia, Portland state, which is the game that you really want to avoid and Gonzaga. Uh, I think they go one and two, no matter which, no matter how it shakes out. Uh, but yeah, if you beat Florida, you're probably not beating Duke on Friday. And then that could potentially be Purdue or, uh, whoever it would be on the other side of the bracket, probably Purdue, maybe Gonzaga on Sunday, but either way, those are two real tough outs on the, on the third day of the tournament. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'll go with one and two. All right. Outside of one and two in Portland, Southeastern Louisiana, that's a win at home. And then on Saturday, December 3rd, West Virginia. What do we got? I have this one as a loss. Really? I do. I, I got a win here. Why do you have it as a loss? Uh, I mean, I, I I don't think West Virginia is great, but uh, I just think that this the Xavier team has has some issues to work through. And I, you know, I mean, I think um that Florida game is going to be a big win for them. I I don't know that I'm I'm gonna have them pulling off another big win this soon. So I'm okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, I, yeah, I had this one as a win. I, I just, I'm not sure West Virginia this year. Uh, I, Huggins coming back though is going to be electric. Yeah. It's going to be a great atmosphere. It's going to be a fun game. Um, it's, it's another 50 50 game in my opinion. I just feel like early on in the year, I'm leaning the, the other way for the most part in 50 50 games. Sure. Uh, okay. So then West Virginia, you have a week off. I assume that's finals week. And then the shootout on the road. What do you have here? I think the Musketeers keep it rolling. They get another victory in the Crosstown shootout. Is that four straight now? Uh, it would. And it would also be the first time that Xavier's won four shootouts in a row. If Xavier's able to do this. Now, uh, Xavier in the in the Ken Palm uh, to start the year in this preseason projection is a three-point underdog to Cincinnati. I don't think after some of the data fills in, it'll end up being like that. But still, the computer is a little high on on Cincinnati and their in their preseason. So this is not like this is a game at Cincinnati. This is not this is not the last couple of years where you can kind of pencil it in. I know the the year two years ago, the COVID year at UC was was different. But uh, yeah, I I just think this is not the runaway shootout presumption. I think this year that it has been the last couple of years, but I do think that Xavier does win four in a row. And to the Sean Miller effect, this is a game that Sean appreciates and does not want to lose. That's well said. I think the same way. It's not the the gimme game that it's been the last few years. I, I think there is a little bit of concern, especially with this one being at UC. They've got to be dying for a win over Xavier with the way yeah. things have gone recently. So um, it's going to be tough, but yeah, especially when I look at what West decided to do with their non-conference schedule this year. Oh my god! I you want to go to the, you want to go to the Bryant game at 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 like noon? That random game? 
no, but I'll see you at the NKU game if you want to go to that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I just, I thought they were going to be better coming into this year based on what they did with the schedule and the way their two secret scrimmages have gone. They lost to Ohio by, I think, like seven or eight, and they lost to Purdue by 13, allegedly. I think they're going to struggle, especially early. So, yeah, I'm I'm going to roll with Xavier here against Cincinnati for the fourth straight shootout win. Okay. Uh, Southern marked that down as a win in Xavier's final bye game, and then you get into Big East play in a pretty good way what? for Xavier to open it up. Go yeah, ahead. they're starting Big East play with another bye game, so that's nice. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Can you imagine? Let's just let's just put ourselves in the Capital One Arena on Friday night, December sixteenth, and what that environment is going to be like oh. when Xavier comes to town. And Georgetown's already lost three non-conference games or four non-conference games. Oh yeah, I bet it'll be amazing. Oh, what a downer that night is going to be. I do want to apologize to anyone that might have heard me on Mo Egger on uh, Wednesday afternoon because we were taught he he is a big Knicks fan, big Pat Ewing fan. So they brought up how Patrick Ewing surprisingly got another year, was lucky to get another year. And I mentioned that it helps to be the best player in your school's history. I want to apologize to anyone might, that might have heard that and then wanted to drive their car directly into a wall while screaming Allen Iverson at me. That's on me. I will admit that I, <laughs> as soon as I, I I realized what I had said, I wanted to take it back, but we had already moved on. It was it wasn't an important enough thing to bring back up later in the show, but I felt very bad about saying Pat Ewing was the best Georgetown player ever over Allen Iverson. Well, that's why you got this forum, right? That's right. I can do whatever I want here. So yeah. just know if you heard that, I I knew how wrong I was in the moment. Rick will cover your insurance claims. Yeah, that's right. Uh, uh, okay. I uh, yeah, that's a win. Seton Hall at home. This is the real test. What do you have here, yeah. Paulie? <laughs> I got a win here. Yeah, see, this is, this is how I know you're not good at this game. Xavier hasn't beat Seton Hall at home since 2018. They don't win. They win at Seton Hall. They don't win in the Centaur Center against Seton Hall. This is an automatic loss. Uh, real, I'm Shaheen Holloway and, and some of this. I just, I'm not buying Seton <laughs> Hall this year. That's fair. I'm just strictly going off the fact that Xavier right. cannot beat Seton Hall at home, in my opinion. <laughs> right, I've seen right. it too many times the last few all years. Right. It doesn't uh, make any sense to me. But, well then, are we are we going to play the Carnesecca game here? You going back to back L's, St. John's away? I'm not. I have this as a win. Okay, I have it as a win too. <laughs> and then uh, UConn back home on New Year's Eve. That that this will be a fun one. I think big at game. Noon. Big yeah. game. Yeah, I have this as a win for Xavier. I think this is going to be a, a real big win for this group. Um, so I picked this as a loss. Uh. I think I'm kind of with you in that I I see Xavier with one Big East loss going into the new year, and I think this is probably it. But a noon game at home uh, is going to be a huge environment. I'm very excited for this one. I I remember a few years ago they did. I was actually at the game where they did that 10 p.m. game and they played the game into midnight on on New Year's Eve. I remember this will be this will be a little different. It's before the party all starts. I. Yeah, this this will be a fun one. I think UConn uh, wins this one at Xavier. Uh, All right. We both have them three and one going into the new year in yeah. Big East play, right? Villanova at home. Now, there's a week off here. Xavier has the midweek bye here going into Villanova on the road. Is this the year? No, not for me. Uh, all right. 
What do you think? It's the it's the year for me. All right. It's the year for me. Uh, I'm I'm out on Villanova this year from a top my my one. If if we're gonna go through, I don't know. We don't need to do Big East hot takes. I'm not gonna. We don't well, need to do that. Well, give me your top uh, four or five. But however, where I guess if, I guess if you were gonna say what's what's my Big East hot take this year, I would say that Villanova finishes outside of the top four of the Big East. Oh, wow. Yeah, we are. Ve- I have them winning the Big East this year. So we are very uh, different on that. Yeah, I just I'll get I just want to see one year of Kyle Neptune. I get that. And I've, and I've heard some people that have concerns about that whole situation. So I, I think that's a very reasonable take. I'm not saying mine's the right one. I look more at it, at it as when I look at the rosters, I still think Villanova, like if, if Jay Wright was the head coach, Villanova would undoubtedly pick number one going yes. into this year in the Big East. So, I as, as you know, it kind of goes. It's the opposite of the Sean Miller at Xavier thing. It's like, well, I, I realize the coach is different, but they still have the most talent, and I yeah. I know that matters. Coaching does matter for sure. But if you have the best roster and you've been the best team in the conference for however many years now, I'll take my chances with you. Still, that's the way. Part I of part of that take, I probably should put a little asterisk is waiting to see how long Justin Moore is out. That's if his if his injury lingers into the end of January and maybe Cam Whitmore has some freshman struggles, everybody's just crowning him already as the freshman of the year. It, it, you know, if he doesn't pan out as a freshman early on, if Justin Moore's injury just lags and lags and lags. Now he posted some pictures on Instagram the other day. I think he was doing box jumps or something that made him look pretty good for this point in the recovery. But if some of those pieces of the puzzle don't line up, you could see a world where they lose a few games early on. And then you have, UConn, Creighton, Xavier, winning some that end up. Now, where I say they aren't in the top four, it's tough for me because I think there is, I think there's, maybe I should, maybe I should backtrack a little bit and say they don't finish in the top three because I haven't seen them anywhere not picked in the top three. I think there is a pretty big chasm between four and five in the Big East. Uh, But we can get to that a little bit later because I want to ask you more about the NCAA tournament after we get through the schedule. Let's get through the schedule first. Uh, I will say that Xavier does get it done at Villanova this year. Creighton at home coming back from that in a midweek game. I have that as back-to-back losses. Okay. I also have this one as a loss at home. Okay. Marquette at home. I have this as a win. So do I. I have this. This is the best stretch of the season for Xavier in conference play, in my opinion. You got Marquette at home, you go to DePaul, and then you're right back at home against Georgetown. Feels like it should be a 3 0 stretch, in my opinion. All right. Yep. I do too. DePaul, Georgetown, either one of those losses for you? No. 3 0 right through here. I, th- I think this is where you kind of kind of get right because that's going to be, uh, we talked about the start of the year. We both had them going 3 and 1, but that's not going to necessarily be an easy 3 and 1. You've either got to win at home against Seton Hall, at St. John's, and then we've got the home game against UConn. So it's uh, it's definitely a couple of three, t- three out of those four games could be tough for them. And then you've got Villanova at Villanova and Creighton at home, both going to be difficult games. So this is kind of like the first little reprieve you get in that conference schedule where you've got three in a row that should be very winnable. Georgetown or DePaul for the seller, Rick? Uh, yeah. I'll go Georgetown. So uh, this I. is the year that DePaul is back. Yeah, I agree. So is them being back just being 10th? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's that's same with me. Uh, all right. Connecticut and Creighton back to back, both away games. Yeah. Tough. I mean, this is a tough stretch right here coming off those three games. So it's nice that you have that to kind of get right. Um, I've got both of these as losses. So do I. Yep. So do I. 
Uh, Providence and St. John's, though, to rebound from that home and home. Yeah, I've got those as two wins back to back. So do I. Butler away. I've got this as a loss. So do I. And this Butler and Marquette stretch, uh, Butler and Marquette away, away. I think they go one and one there. And you could talk me into either either one one being a win. Fair. Very. Yeah, I, I agree totally on that. I picked Butler as the loss, but if Marquette was the loss, all right. Yeah. Um, okay, DePaul at home, win. Win. Uh, Villanova, home. I've got this as a loss. I do, too. I think Justin Moore is back by this point, and, and uh, I'll take Villanova here. Yeah, so that's notable. You've got the win at Villanova this year before Justin Moore gets back. Then yes. you've got the loss at Xavier when he returns. So I, I, just, I, don't, I, I don't mind that thinking. I kind of like where you're at on that, but it's it's notable that you have Xavier winning the road game against Villanova for a change. Yeah, I really do. I just think he makes that much of a difference to this team. That's, I, I, just, I don't disagree with that. With a new coach and some stability in the turnover, what they left. This is the first year in forever. When was the last time we sat here talking about Villanova having questions at the point guard position? That we didn't go in there thinking we know exactly who's going to be the stable rock of this team. Well, yeah, not just that, but normally we're talking about their point guard as the potential national player of the year. Yeah. McJalen Brunson, Archie Diakono, like that's kind of, that's been a theme for a while now. I mean, we're going on almost a decade of not having a question mark at maybe the most important position on the floor. And now you don't, you don't have that. You don't have that national player of the year candidate at, at point guard. So a lot of those question marks for me are what's, are what's trending toward that. But I do think that, by this time, with Justin Moore being back, I think he makes that much of a difference. I think this is a loss. Seton Hall away, Providence away. Back-to-back losses for me. Yeah. Tough, tough stretch here, too. I mean, you've got that Connecticut-Creighton uh, back-to-back road games at the end of January. And then here late in February, you've got Villanova at home, at Seton Hall, at Providence, back-to-back-to-back like that at the end of the year. Another tough stretch to end the, end the season for the Musketeers. But then you get Butler at home on senior night to end the season, and I have this as a big win. Yeah, they've got to beat Butler to end this season, right? Do they? <laughs> you got to. You have to. You, whatever yeah. happens, you can't make like a stupid foul at the end of this game in a game that you have won with a chance to go to the NCAA tournament. You just cannot, like, I don't know, bring Dwan Odom back onto your roster and have him foul someone when you're up. And there's a legitimate chance with the way we just project predicted the schedule. We have three losses going into that game. So there's a legitimate chance that this sets up again as a game that Xavier needs to win. Right. Staring down a, a collapse down the stretch of losing four straight to end the year. And it wouldn't even be like, oh, they're awful that that happened. That's kind of just life in the Big East and the way the schedule shook down this year. It's going to be a tough stretch at the end. But yeah, that Butler game. Yeah, if they're if they've lost three straight going into that, there are going to be some uneasy fans at the Centos Center on yeah. March fourth. So that puts me at twenty and eleven overall, twelve and eight in the Big East. Rick, where are you? I'm at eighteen and thirteen overall, eleven and nine in the Big East. Okay, uh, does that get you into the NCAA tournament? I I think it would. I mean, uh, going back to last year, Xavier finished eight and eleven. In Big East play, they were 18 and 12 overall by the end of the regular season, eight and 11 in Big East play. Yeah, I mean, I I think if you flip that around and uh, obviously 20 games this year, but if you flip that 11 to the win column, 
they would have been in last year. They had two or three more wins. They are they were in last year. So yeah, uh, I think that that's a good enough record to get them into the tournament. Now they'll be on the bubble. Like I said, there may be some people sweating that last Butler game, and you may go into the Big East tournament feeling like you want to win a game or, or two to really make yourself feel good and, and get some seating. But I think the the eighteen and thirteen overall, eleven and nine in Big East play will be enough to to get in on the right side of that bubble. Do you think that this team, Rick, has the? I'm I'm going out on a limb here. Do you think that this team has the potential to be a second weekend team? Not one that I would pick ahead of time. Now, yeah. once you get there, we've seen it before. Like a couple of Xavier's runs to the Elite Eight were with fairly improbable teams that you wouldn't have picked to do that. So uh, I definitely wouldn't rule it out. But yeah. in terms of projecting them to that, no, I think they're probably a first weekend team. They get back to the tournament this year, which will be a nice step. And things certainly looking up going forward with the type of recruiting that they've done, the freshmen that they have in the program right now, and of, of course, Sean Miller leading the way. Yeah, and I do think looking at some of these national writers and people that have picked Xavier to win the Big East, you, you've heard some people this year call it the Big Least, and that this is not this is not a conference this year that has a national champion contender. This is this is not a title contending conference this year to the point where. I don't want to necessarily say it's wide open. I, I really do think that there's a a pretty significant difference between the top four and the rest of the conference. I do think this is a conference that can get five, probably five teams in Xavier, Connecticut, Creighton, Villanova for sure. And then, you know, I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't be shocked. And I tweeted it earlier today. I would not be shocked if Butler snuck in there. I think I think Butler could be the one team that you and I sit here for a season recap says that maybe they didn't make the NCAA tournament, but I think they'll surprise people. They were picked pretty far down. I don't know what they were picked in the uh, in the preseason poll, um, but I, I think Butler can be a top half of the Big East team. They bring in some guys, some pretty important guys. It you know you, you have Manny Bates, who was very important to an NC State team last year. Eric Hunter is transfer into the program. You have some guys back. You have the you have Thad Mata. You, you know, there's just there's just things that have gone right for Butler. Um, that that I think Rick, we might be talking about them down the road. Fair enough. Uh, the, when I look at it, so the preseason coaches poll was Creighton one, Xavier two. Villanova three, UConn four. That's where you you feel like those four are clearly ahead of the rest right now, right? I, I think pretty clearly, yeah. And then right after that, you have Providence, St. John, Seton Hall, Butler, and then I would, I don't maybe you include Marquette in that same group or no? I I personally don't think Mar like I could see. I don't necessarily I know. Marquette, if I, feel that way about I think St. Marquette, John's, but I think Marquette will outperform that. I think St. John's will be terrible. I do too. I don't know. I, I don't have St. John's at six. I would have them lower, but Providence, Seton Hall, Butler, I'll have as a team that could get up there into that third or fourth range potentially and like uh, jump over Xavier, maybe jump over a UConn if they struggle, something like that. So, like, if I was ranking those top four teams, which I agree that there might be a, a little line of demarcation there, I would go Villanova number one, Creighton number two, UConn three, Xavier four. And then I feel like there might be a little separation, but I would go Seton Hall after Xavier. And I think 
you know, Seton Hall could blur that line or maybe Xavier will blur that line. It'll be more like there's three teams at the top and Xavier is in that next tier with, with the rest of the group. But yeah, I think Seton Hall, Providence, and then Butler for me. I'd have, I have Butler at seventh. Uh, I, I was talking about it last night. There was a prop on one of the sports books that had Creighton's uh, Big East Conference win total at 15 and a half. Uh, I don't think they win 16 games this year in the conference. I think 15 and five could probably be realistic for them. Um, would you take that over or under? Well, it all depends on what the, the odds are on it. Didn't you say there, it was juiced pretty pretty well? It was yeah, plus odds. I mean, n- no was like plus 130 or something like that. Yeah, so at plus 130, I would be more interested in it. Uh, you look at what they did last year. They were 12 and 7 in the Big East. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, can they, uh, they've got to do a little bit better, not a ton better than they did last year. And this team, I mean, people aside from me think they are one of the top teams in the country and and significantly better than they were a season ago. So I don't know if I, I think it's likely, but if you're getting that plus 130, little extra juice i might take a chance on under 15 and a half uh yeah this is going to be a an interesting kind of case study for ken for ken palm any of these computer rankings because the computers are not high on creighton at all now i know they got some transfers in they got some shooting there but 22nd ken palm you know you look around the computers it's it's like a 20s maybe 30s and they're pretty much a consensus top five top 10 team in all of the human polls so It'll. This is one that you look back at the end of the year and and you say, all right, which one was right? And I uh, picking them to win the Big East. That's a that's a tough sell for me. Yeah, I'm I'm the same way. I, I don't really understand why people have them at the top. Um. Okay. So that is our season prediction again. I had them at twenty and eleven, twelve and eight uh, in the conference. I do think that they make the tournament this year. I th- I think that. This is a good enough team, and also they'll pick up enough wins in the Big East play. They'll they'll pick up a surprising. They'll they'll lose a frustrating game. They might win, lose two or three in a row that are head scratchers, but they'll win enough games that make you say, "Okay, they've done enough to get in." Even if you leave it down to the Butler game at the very end, where you it you might be nervous, but you might not be as nervous as you have been the last four years. The way I look at it is I expect this team to be very similar to what they were last year, but just don't have the epic collapse that you had at the end of last season. Yeah. I mean, you go you go back to last year, lost seven of their last nine of the regular season. I don't think that's going to happen again. So, again, I, I'd put them going into those like last seven and nine games. I'd put them right in the same spot, and then they'll find a way to win more than two. And those last nine, and and I think they'll get in. Sure. Uh, Rick, I'm going to talk for a second here about Xavier football. Is there anything else with preseason, anything that, that we haven't covered today? I'm, I'm going back over our, our notes here. Is there anything we haven't touched on that you want to talk about with, with the team? No, maybe I'll do uh, I might do some type of like Twitter spaces or uh, some type of live thing where we can take some questions from fans, too, if they have other sure. stuff for us. Um, or the message board is always available. Of course, you can just ask questions on there. But hopefully this gave you guys a, a decent enough overview. It was a little all over the place, but uh, tried to do it the best we could. And and uh, interested to just hear what you guys think of how this season will shake out for the Musketeers. Yeah, leave us some predictions in the thread as as always. All right, let's do, let's do a couple minutes here on Zebra football. This is something that 
lit the chat up um, over the last few days as news started to trickle out that this is something that's probably going to be happening. Uh, you had a thread on it that you started today, Rick. So before I share my thoughts, uh, can you just elaborate maybe a little bit on what you shared in in the thread or what you had heard? Yeah, it's and you know to be clear, this has been going on on the message board now for. I don't know, a handful of days, I think people have been bringing this up. It's been a rumor that's been making its way around Xavier Nation. And that is that there are serious plans to start a football program at Xavier. And uh, it's not immediate and it's not a done deal yet. But the way it was told to me is that it is likely to happen at this point. There, uh, uh, there are already some donors that have put the funding in place for a lot of this. And um, I guess basically what happened is they've, they are looking to boost male enrollment at the school first and foremost. And also uh, the, the research they did indicated that this would be revenue positive for the university and the athletics department. So they are going to, it, it, it'll be in the pioneer football league, which you're familiar with. You can tell us a little bit more about uh, where they do not have scholarships. So these guys would be paying their, their way to go to Xavier and play football. And uh, the other part of that, that I think other people have found somewhat interesting is that it sounds like assuming this happens, that there would be plans to build uh, a new football stadium as well. Yeah, that that's what I've heard too. So I first heard rumors about this a little while ago and it kind of been circulating around and wasn't sure what to believe, what not to believe, but as stuff started to trickle out more pieces that I had heard started to make sense um, and as I had heard some rumors, I started approaching my my Dayton viewing a, a different way. We talked about it last podcast uh, that I've been doing play by play for Dayton. I did it a couple of years ago. I, I'm doing it again this year. And now this year, looking at the atmosphere at Dayton, it's tough. If you go back in my Twitter pictures and you look at what I did this year with Dayton and there's still one more game left, one more home game. Half of their stadium is being renovated. So if you look at my pictures and you say, oh, my gosh, there's nobody there. Nobody goes to the games. Well, that's because the other half of the stadium is getting renovated and everybody is sitting underneath the press box and, and the stands underneath there where the pictures are. I would say that they they generally I don't they, they don't fill it up entirely, but they come pretty close to to having a, a filled section under there. A few thousand people at each game. But but more importantly to me is going up there and seeing all of the tailgating that is going on outside in the parking lots family weekend from where the press box sits at Dayton over top the stadium. You have a very clear view of the parking lot all around the stadium. And as far as the eye could see on family weekend, everybody was out around the stadium tailgating the grills, the flags flying everywhere, cornhole, everything. I will grant that not everybody made it into the game, but it was an event. And I think for Xavier, adding this program, getting a new facility, doing these types of things, it's not going to happen. The athletic department is not going to let this happen if it doesn't make financial sense. I would also say that this is not a situation where basketball is going to be any less of a priority for people now. When I when when news first started coming out about this on Sunday, I I was busy doing something. I had a broadcast, I think, on Sunday, and, and I checked my phone, and I had a million texts of what's going to happen to basketball. And I, I basically sent the same text over and over that was to the point of this would not – you don't hire Sean Miller. You don't invest in an, another gym. You don't invest in this weight room and everything that you've done for the basketball program to then put any less of a priority on it 
because of adding a football team in the worst FCS conference that there is. The, the Pioneer Football League is a one-bid football championship subdivision conference that this is not a conference that competes with division one talent. Like you're not going to see Xavier get a buy game with Ohio state. You're not going to see Xavier get a buy game with Cincinnati. This is not a, this is not a, a league that competes at the division one level with a buy game. Now does a PFL team occasionally play a buy game against a Mac? Sure. Maybe. But this isn't consistently going to be where you can go to a, a a high level opponent every fall. This is a you're competing against Butler. And, and for those of you that don't know it, St. Thomas, Butler, Dayton, Davidson, Valpo, Maris, San Diego, Stetson, Moorhead State, Drake and Presbyterian. That's the PFL. Um, you know, Dayton's been competitive for a long time. San Diego has a great program. Uh, Davidson was picked to win the league this year. So you have teams that are also basketball priority schools. You look at Butler, Davidson, you know, uh, Dayton, obviously. The, these schools going down this list that prioritize basketball. A lot of people have made a lot of good points on the message board about this already. I think it, initially I was a little turned off to the idea, as a lot of people were, just because it seems like Xavier, in a way, has always prided itself on not having a football team and they sell the shirts undefeated, you know, since the seventies in, in the gift shop and everything like that. It's always been a bit of a point of pride that Xavier doesn't have a football team, but the more and more I've thought about it over the last few weeks and, and looked at this through the lens of Dayton and what it's done and what it could do. It's not an, it's not a bad thing. Do people get fired up for it? Do they sell out every game? You know, I don't know. But it's definitely not a bad thing. And in the end, if it's not a bad thing and could be a positive, I think it's a good thing. And I and I, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Quite honestly, I I've I have changed my stance a little bit from where I was initially. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I, I think this is a good addition for Xavier. I think I think you should just kind of go into this with open arms and just take it for what it is. It's not going to be overly uh, it, it's not going to be overly competitive at a, at a really high FCS level. And that's one thing you have to keep in mind. Yeah, I, I think that's the big part of it is you, you got to understand how this should be looked at. It's not Xavier is now going to try to get in the football arena and compete with yeah. other regional schools. This isn't like basketball where it's like, oh, we want to be UC in football now. That's not what this is. This is a strategic move to boost enrollment, make more money for the athletics department, uh, like I said, it boosts the male enrollment specifically because it's skewed so heavy in favor of, of female right now in terms of the student population. That's what this is about. It's a strategic move. It's to enhance the entire university and the basketball program. That's yeah. Basketball is still going to be top dog, always will be top dog. I get it. There are going to be some other points of view on this that anytime you have something like this and people get involved in it, they're, they're going to want some donor money and it could pull some resources away. I understand that point of view as well, but I think you have to realize that everyone involved with this for the most part has the same core mission that they've always had, which is to boost Xavier as a university, use the basketball program as the main means to do that. And most of their energy is still going to be put into that. And, and the football will be a complementary piece to that mission, not something that, detracts from it 
Now, a couple of things that interest me in this, and I don't have any insider info or anything like this. It's just a couple of things that I was looking at is how this facility is going to be built. Dayton plays at a, a stadium. They play at Welcome Stadium, which is owned by the city of Dayton and Dayton Public Schools. Like the midfield logo at Welcome Stadium says Dayton Public Schools. Dayton does not own the facility, even though it's in the same parking lot as uh, UD Arena. I'll be interested to see if they add a track around the football field because that could bring the track and field program back on campus. They don't, they don't, there's no track at Xavier right now. So track and field can't practice. They can't be there on campus. So I'll be interested to see that. The other thing alongside that is how they rent this out financially to local high schools or different events. And is this a situation where Moeller plays their home games there? Yeah. It could be. There's multiple local teams that could use this. So it, I wouldn't be a surprise at all to make at least see one team make it their home and then see it be used for other big games as well. Yeah. I mean, I'll be at Shea Stadium tomorrow down in Norwood uh, for Moeller and St. X. I, is that a situation where Moeller moves their home games here without a home stadium themselves? I'm purely, purely throwing that out there just as as another point of view of is that going to pay for the whole athletic department? No. But it is a an extra source of income where it's not going to just be used for five Saturdays a year against Dayton, Davidson, Presbyterian, and Drake for five home games, five Saturdays a year. But overall, I think if you go into this with an open mind and just realize that Xavier's trying to do this more as a marketing and admissions objective than it is to be competitive at football, that, hey, this is a one-bid league into the FCS playoffs, and that's just how it works. The Pioneer League is not its not the top of the table. Like, honestly, I, I, I have no idea, but my I, I don't know if that's even been talked about. Like, how many bids and, like, I'm sure it has while they're doing their research, but, like, I don't think the who what you compete in for a postseason tournament or any of that is, like, even a factor at all in any of this. Well, well I, I guess my point is, if you're looking at, like, a Villanova, they play in the CAA, which is a pretty competitive conference. Right. Yeah, so I, I'm just saying that if you're if you're somebody listening to this that has no clue how the FCS works, like Villanova plays a, a pretty decent level of FCS football. The PFL is not that. It's still fun because they're all competing at the same level. So you can still like Dayton plays in you know in the 20s and then the 30s. They're fun, exciting games, but it's it's not going to go out there. Now, the one thing I will say is Dayton's turned out a couple of of NFL talents. I mean, Adam Troutman, who was a tight end a couple of years ago, he's a starting tight end for the Saints now. I mean, every once in a while, you'll see some talent come out of the PFL that, yeah, I'm not saying that this is going to be, you know, producing NFL talent all the time, but you get those, those guys every once in a while, those unicorns that you might see here and there. The other thing too is, and I don't know how much this plays into it. Cincinnati is a heck of a football city. Yeah. And if you look up and down the Dayton roster of, Moeller, St. X, LaSalle, GCL South Town, Elder, all these guys that have gone up the road and gone to Dayton. And the other thing, too, is uh, one of Dayton's most important players is an Ohio State grad transfer. Guys that maybe went to that D1 level and didn't get as much time. So Cincinnati's enough of a town that, yes, they're competing with UC and, and some of that other, you know, you're competing on a weekend level, attention-wise, with UC, with the Bengals. There's there's higher-ranked football in the city. Uh, there, there's higher priority football, I should say, in the city. But um, I, I just think, Rick, that y- you shouldn't read oh, too much into this 
from a competitive standpoint. It's more of just embrace it, have fun, and, and enjoy it. I think that's the biggest thing to say. All right. Uh, Rick, anything else? That's it. That's all I got. Love it. Uh, I should say we probably were, were trying to go ahead and do like we did last year to do a recap episode as often as we can. Last year, we did it on Mondays. I don't want to put you on the spot, Rick, with with a schedule, but we can figure that out later. But Rick and I have talked about doing a consistent um, you know, recap type show to to go throughout this season. Season starts on Monday night. I'll be the in arena host for every game this year. So like it or not, I'll be throwing those Joseph Auto Group balls at you all season. I, the t-shirts are tough for me. They flail out sometimes. The t-shirts are tough to get up there, but we'll, we'll, we'll have some fun this year. I'm looking forward to it. Is it tough being a guy who throws the, the ball toss thing in the arena after the old bald cheerleader used to do oh, it? Like, yeah, does that feel emasculating to like show off your, I mean, you've got a good arm. I've seen it before, but does it feel rough when you just know you're not the bald cheerleader? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And especially when I bring him out, because I've I've brought him out to the court a couple of times to to do it at points in different games that have been bigger games, and I've texted him and said, "Hey, can you come out here and, and give me a little help?" Well, here, that's bit, first of all breaking news. You're on a texting basis with the bald cheerleader. Oh, he's the man, Sean. He's the best. Yeah, he. Uh, I mean, he's got a howitzer. Yeah, he'll come out of retirement anytime I need him. He'll just he'll just come down there and, and get things done. Does that shoulder just stay loose twenty four seven or what? How, I mean that that dude comes down and I would throw my arm out of so- socket if I was trying to get up to the second level on a whim like that without well, stretching. The difference between Sean and I is that when Sean throws it into the second level, I can get it up there pretty far. But Sean's is on a line. Sean Sean gets it up there like twice as quick as I do because I can get it up to the two hundreds pretty easily. But mine sort of floats up there, and, and it's actually and an insurance around. hazard as hard as he's throwing those balls up there. Yeah, I mean, it's hit take, the roof a few times. Yeah, I mean, he he gets it up there. He'll take your head off. Yeah. So so yeah. So so we're looking forward to it. That'll be this year, um, uh, all through the year, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing all of you. I'll be I'll be roaming around on Monday. So if you see me. We'll, we'll talk some hoops. Are you going to be there? What's, what's your schedule? Are you there on Monday? I will not be there Monday. Uh, I'll, I'll be around. We'll be, be around. It's, it's always it's always a work in progress during basketball season. We'll be around. The yeah. Schedules. All right. That's been the uh, season preview edition. We'll see you next time on the Musketeer Report podcast.